All right, good afternoon. Uh, it's good to see everybody. Welcome to Zoe Community Church. My name is Jesse. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, if you're new or visiting, we want to welcome you. Normally, we don't have this stage kind of set up like this. I feel like I'm uncomfortably close to some of you. I see some of our normal front row people have abandoned their post up here. <laughs> Get out of the splash zone, right? Um, part of it is because the Methodist Church is doing some kind of performance after this. So we have to get out by three. Um, so uh, 2.59 it is. I guess we'll do that. Um, but anyway, good to see you here. Uh, if you could open your Bibles to Proverbs 22. The book of Proverbs chapter 22 and just for some context for you who haven't been here for a while or you're new, we're wrapping up our summer series in the book of Proverbs. So we're not doing the whole book, um, but we've been preaching through 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel, but we're taking a break in the summer to talk about wisdom. And we've called the series Better, and the reason why we called it that is because in Hebrew, the word for wisdom is the word hokmah. Okay, and hokmah doesn't just mean knowledge or something intellectual. It has to do with knowledge applied. Okay, so hokma is really skill or being better at life, hence the term better. We're not that creative, but that's where we got it from. Today is actually the final sermon in this series. Okay, so we're done after this. No more wisdom. We can go back to being fools next week. Just kidding. Uh, but we're wrapping it up uh, today, and we'll be back in First Samuel next week. But so far, just to recap, we've talked about what wisdom is. We talked about the fear of the Lord. We talked about different topics like friendship and how we talk, our speech. We talked about conflict and trusting God and not doubting, being anxious. We've talked about money. Thank you, Eric, for taking that one. Today, we have something that I think is about as difficult as money to preach on, maybe more so. Proverbs 22. Hopefully you're there. I'm not there yet. Sorry. Proverbs 22, verse 6, maybe the most famous proverb out of all of them. Proverbs 22, 6, train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. This is the word of God. Let's pray together. Will you pray with me? Father, we come before you this afternoon, and a lot of us are parents. Some of us aren't. Some of us are parents of older kids who have grown up. And yet, God, we know that whether we're stressed out of our minds in kind of the throes of parenting or whether it's a distant memory or whether it's not even on the radar, that your word speaks truth to us. So, God, I pray that you'd help us to not think about this as a parenting seminar or something, but really as your word declared and preached. And I pray, God, that we would be edified by it and strengthened and encouraged and also convicted. And God, I pray especially for the parents here who are raising their kids. God, I pray for wisdom, God, because we know that your word says that if we pray for wisdom with faith, that you will give it. God, so we know that you can give us wisdom. You can guide us in this task that seems impossible sometimes, that you can give us the grace. So we look to you. We pray, God, for your help. We pray that you'll open up our eyes and our ears during this time. And we pray that Christ will be honored most of all. We pray these things in his name. Amen. Amen. In seminary, one of the final classes we took was preaching lab. I think I've shared about this class in general before, but preaching lab. Okay, so we, we took classes on preaching before this where we read books about sermons and we read different sermons and studied. But in preaching lab, you take everything that you learn in seminary and you have to kind of boil it down together into a sermon that you preach in front of some other students and a professor and you get graded. 
or judged. That's kind of the reality. It was intimidating no matter what students or what professor was with you, but by far the most intimidating professor, uh, the final boss, you could say, was the man and the myth and the legend, not John MacArthur. You thought I was going to say that? Some of you people who came here from the master's website, he's actually pretty nice in these settings, I hear. The actual final boss of master's seminary was the preaching professor head of the department, Dr. Montoya. We have a couple people in our church from his church. Dr. Montoya, he was the head of the preaching, the entire department. He was kind of the guy in charge of all the other professors who evaluated us. And he would sit in and he would talk to us about our preaching. And everyone was scared of Dr. Montoya. You'd move around. Different professors would evaluate you. But then you get to Dr. Montoya. And there were stories. Okay, We heard about these from the first day of seminary to kind of make us scared. We knew that Dr. Matoya was older at this time. He was about to retire when I was there. He had hundreds, if not thousands, of sermons under his belt from preaching at his church. We knew that he was kind of an intense guy. And one of the stories uh, that we would hear, hear all the time is how you get up there, right, and you studied Hebrew, and you studied Greek, and you studied theology, and church history, all these things, and then you get to preaching lab, and you'd sit down with seven other, or eight other guys, and Dr. Montoya would be right there, and your knees are shaking, right, you're kind of scared, and you try to give this sermon, and just looking at him, the way he's looking at you, it made you question your calling. Right? You're kind of like, I moved all the way out here from the East Coast to go to seminary. I studied for three years, and now I'm not sure if I'm even cut out for this job because he'd just be looking at you like, you know? We had a 30-minute time limit for these sermons. I know that's hard to believe, but I've broken free. Where you are, I am free, right? That's what we just saying. But anyway, 30 minutes. And what happened, what, what would happen a lot is that a lot of these guys, myself included, we'd want to go longer. Dr. Montoya would stop you at 30 minutes exactly and you'd be like, wait, wait, wait. And he's like, you know, that sermon didn't really land. In fact, it didn't even get off the ground. I don't even think you got onto the runway. And he's kind of like, you're kind of like, I needed more time. And he's like, no, man, if you couldn't say it in 30 minutes, no one wants to hear that for an hour. Stuff like that. He might have even said, are you sure you're called? That's the first thing. Now, he was always nice in the beginning. He'd always say something good before he said all of that. He'd say like, good passage or something like that. Good verse. That's Dr. Montoya. Now, I actually had Dr. Montoya in the final lab, in the final rotation he ever did. Okay, I don't think Eric even had him, right? You didn't? Okay, so I had him, and it was kind of scary. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you what he said to me, maybe in private, if we get to know each other really well over the next 10 years. Uh, that's a story for another time. But he told a story that has to do with preaching, but it also has to do with parenting, and that's why I brought this up. You have to know who this man is before I tell this story, because the story is kind of crazy. So Dr. Montoya said to us, when he was 20-something years old, he was just married, he had a young baby, his, his son wasn't even a year old yet, and he was the new-ish pastor at his church that he's still at to this day. He went to the pulpit, as he did, you know, as a new pastor, he walked up, he opened up his Bible, and he said, if you could open up your Bible to such and such passage, I don't remember what passage, it might have been this one, Proverbs 22, but he said, open up here, and then he said, today, we're going to be talking about parenting. And he said, you know, he was a young guy, and he said his church was kind of intense. Uh, he's a Latino guy. He said, this is a, what Latino churches are like. If you're Latino, you could tell me this is true or not. I'm not trying to be racist, is what he said. But he said people didn't really respect the younger people. So he said an older guy actually stood up and said, hey, Montoya, Montoya, what do you know about parenting that you're going to tell me? 
said, your kid is six months old. My kid is growing up. What do you know about parenting? And Dr. Montoya said he stood there and he looked at the guy and he said, first of all, I will bury you. And then he said, and I did bury him. I did his funeral like 10 years ago. (laughs) So he buried him. He said, first of all, I will bury you. I'm not going anywhere. Second of all, it's not about what I know. It's about what he says. So sit down. And he said, the guy sat down and he buried him later. It's not about what I know. He said, it's about what he says. The truth is none of us really wanted to preach this sermon on parenting. I talked to James and Eric about it. I said, you guys good at parenting? How are your kids doing? You want to preach on parenting? And the reason why is because parenting, it's not that it's so tricky in what the Bible says. It's more that we're kind of green when it comes to parenting. Right? You look at our kids. Our oldest kid is eight between us or seven. Look, we love the word. We think parenting is important, but we know that we're untested. And usually you don't want to hear advice from someone that is inexperienced, right? In any area of life. You go to the mechanic and he's like, yeah, I just learned about cars yesterday. You're like, oh, can I get a different guy? There's a wisdom, a sort of wisdom that comes with experience. There is an integrity that comes with having lived out yourself, what you're going to tell others. And the truth is, I only have a little bit of that. My oldest daughter is six. And that's why I needed to set your expectations from the get-go. Okay, this isn't going to be life lessons from me, or I tried this and it works, or I guarantee in 10 steps, you will have a kid that looks like such and such, my best kid. This is about what he says, not about what I know. At the end of the day, it's about God's word. And this is why, too, we had to talk about parenting in this series. Of course, we have a lot of parents here, right? It's good for a young church to talk about parenting, to focus on children. That always helps the church flourish and grow. But I also know a lot of you aren't parents, or a lot of you are parents, but your kids have grown up. I know some of you might even be my parents in here. I think they're in the children's ministry today. Thank you, Eric and Tiff. We had to talk about parenting, not because it's an important thing to talk about in general, but because it's what God's word focuses on sometimes. And in the Proverbs, God's word talks about parenting quite a bit. So if you're not a parent, if you feel like this isn't relevant to you and you're wondering, can I take a nap? You can take a nap. It's a free country, right? Do whatever you want. But should you take a nap? Well, if God's word says something, says anything, I don't think you should try to take a nap. Okay, if you fall asleep, there is grace. All scripture, right, is God-breathed. It is profitable, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. It's about what he says. So there's something in this text for everybody, and I think when we get into it, you'll see, because even right from the get-go, notice, it's train up what? A child. Not necessarily train up your child. There's something more general here that is relevant to anyone who might have ever been a child or encountered a child in their lives, which I think is 99.9% of us. So whether you're planning on having kids in the future, whether you're trying to process how your parenting went now that it's in the rearview mirror, whether you're someone who doesn't have kids, doesn't intend to have kids, whether you are a kid, I think that there is something here for you. And there's so much about parenting and how to raise kids out there right now. I think if you're someone who is really into parenting and being intentional and reading books and following certain leaders, then I think especially it could be good for you to get away from some of that, some of the second order things that we hear from these guys, these parents, 
and going straight to the source and seeing what God has to say. So let's get into it. There are other passages about parenting, but this is a good one to start in, and we will spend our time here. Three points, one proverb. First, the principle. Second, the path. Third, the proverb. Okay, first, the principle. The principle. Let's start off simply. What is the text saying? Train up a child, it says, in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Proverbs 22.6 is offering us a principle. Okay, I think we get this even from first read, but it has to be said. Set a child off in a certain direction, and when he or she is old, they will still go on that path. In other words, what is sown early in life will lead to whatever is reaped later in life. This is basically a reap what you sow proverb. This general principle is taught throughout the Bible in various forms. Proverbs 22, verse 8, whoever sows injustice will reap calamity and the rod of his fury will fail. Or Proverbs eleven eighteen: the wicked earns deceptive wages, but one who sows righteousness gets a sure reward. And then, of course, in the New Testament, it spells it out clearly. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. What this means is, in a nutshell, your actions have consequences. Your actions have consequences. And not just consequences, but predictable consequences. So apply this to your life. Apply this to your parenting. Whatever path you set a child on in the younger years is what path they will walk when they get older. Now, you might have some questions about this. Like, what about the exceptions? What about this thing that happened to this other kid? We'll get there. Okay, we'll get to that. But let's just unpack this general principle first. When it comes to parenting, and really, when it comes to anything that you do, according to the Bible, according to wisdom, what you do, what actions you take, what you sow, it matters. It matters. See, what the sex is saying is that parenting actually has an effect on your kids. And maybe you say, yeah, and the sky is blue, right? You know, and fire is hot. Thank you, Pastor Obvious. You always do this, and I do always do this. I'm like, God is God. Like, it's profound or something. Okay, I realize this sounds like such a simplistic, almost patronizing statement, but I don't mean it to be patronizing, okay? Not at all. We can't just skip over this, though, because what I'm saying is the Bible says it, and we need to be convinced that this is true. Or the rest of what we talk about won't matter. See, One of the reasons I bring this up is because I think it's easy for us to lose confidence in the truth of this principle on a day-to-day basis. Because isn't it true that a lot of times we take actions or we say certain things or we do certain things and we say, okay, it's not a big deal. We don't think that if I do this or if I impart this into my kids, that this is going to affect their whole lives, maybe even their eternal destiny. We go through our days, we wake up, roll out of bed, zip through our morning routines, go to work or school or to the park or start running errands. We eat our meals, we get ready for bed, we sleep every day, every single day, and sprinkle throughout our busy days, our parenting moments or potential parenting moments, the kids start fighting with one another. Or you're at breakfast and you're trying to rush to get somewhere and then one of your kids says, hey, what is God like? All these things happen. A kid has a nightmare at night. And comes down and wakes you up because they're scared. They're scared that maybe God isn't real or bad guys are going to get them. What do you do in those moments? 
Do you take the opportunity right then and there because you know even when it's the billionth time your kids got into a fight or even when you're busy or even when you just got woken up, that what you say and do in that moment actually matters when it comes to your kids? You could apply that to your whole lives, but just with parenting, whatever you do in that moment will be decisive in who your children will become. And I feel like this is actually a very hard thing to take in sometimes or to believe or to have confidence in. You know, I know a lot of parents who really get fired up to parent, right? They read a a book about parenting and they try to go home and use those lessons or they go to a seminar or they hear a sermon at church and they try to go home and change things and they, you know, do the right thing and it seems like it has no effect, right? Their Bible bullets seem to just bounce off these little super children, right? They're bulletproof. It seems like nothing works. It's not like you haven't given it a good try, but it doesn't seem effective. The thing is, when the Bible presents sowing and reaping, it uses that language on purpose. It's agricultural. It takes a long time. You put a seed in the ground, nothing might happen. It's just dirt for days or weeks or even months. I don't know how farming works, but that's what I guess. And here it's no different. The metaphor is different, but the principle is the same. Notice the wording, train up a child, and then when he is old. Now, when he's still a child, three seconds later, the fruit of our labor might not be apparent until our kids are grown up. And that's why we start with the most seemingly obvious statement we could start with, according to the scripture. The wise parent understands that what parents do matters even if you won't see the results until way later. There's a lot of hope in this principle, I think. There's a warning too, but let's focus on the hope. God is giving a gift with this principle. Okay, I'm speaking to you parents who are really trying to parent, and it doesn't seem like there's a lot of fruit. God is guaranteeing himself Okay, that this principle is real. Now, again, there are some exceptions. It's not always one-to-one, but this principle is true. It's based in the Word of God. We might want to think, uh, we might want to think nothing is happening, but God is saying, just wait. And even if you're not a parent, okay, or even if you're a grown-up parent, just think about what kind of things do you sow into your own life and into the lives of others? Because you're always sowing something. Results aren't uh, apparent right away. But just understand that what you put in will affect what you get out. This is true for basically everything. You know, fitness or work ethic or spiritual maturity. Ask yourself right now, when it comes to parenting or if it's not uh, relevant to you directly, ask yourself when it comes to anything in your life, what am I sowing? If I keep doing the same things, if tomorrow is exactly like today, where will I end up in 10 years, 20 years, 30 years? At the end of my life, when I stand before God. There's a lot of hope in this principle that you can grow and that you can change. That if you try to grow, and if you read the Bible every day, then in 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, you will actually know the Bible pretty well. It might not happen one day at a time. Now, notice in the text, specifically, it says, train up a child. Now, it doesn't say teach, which is part of it, but it says train. And the word for train in Hebrew is actually the same word for dedicate. Okay, so when they dedicated the temple, 
This is the word that they used. They dedicated it up. So the word here is not exactly what you think. So what is the idea? Some parents, right, like they do baby dedications at church. They bring their kid up. That's kind of it, I guess. But really what's going on is that your kids are an important responsibility. You need to dedicate them or dedicate yourself even to raising them in a certain way. So by implication, we need to be dedicated. So all of this to say, do you think about what your kid is becoming? And do you realize that you do have an important role to play? That you can actually affect things in their lives and in their hearts. The first step is to actually care about what you sow, to actually care about parenting. Okay? That's where we're starting. Now, before we get to the second point, let me tell you a story that I think illustrates kind of the slow nature of this. But it's a story my grandma told me about my dad. Okay? So it's kind of meta here. But my grandma told me when I was a kid, she said that uh, she and my grandpa told my dad that if he saves up money, they will help him buy a car, okay? So they said, if you save up half the amount of money that you need to buy whatever car you want, we will pay the other half. And he was like eight years old when they told him this. But for some reason, you can ask him later, my dad's Stan, you can talk to him. Uh, And maybe I'm totally wrong in what my grandma, what I heard from my grandma, but he'll correct you. But what he's, he said, he took this very seriously, so what he did was he started saving money when he was like, hey, actually, my dad's right there. Okay, so when he was like eight years old. And what he would do, my grandma said, is that he would ask if he could do like odd jobs, like around the house or around the neighborhood, whatever. He would iron clothes for like 25 cents, iron all of my grandpa's shirts. And 25 cents at a time, right, 10 cents, 50 cents at a time, he saved up enough money, thousands of dollars by the time he was 16, to go half in on a car. So he was like the only guy he knew who got his license and his car like on the same day. Now, I heard this story when I was eight and uh, I didn't get a car, as you guys know. Uh, Some people don't reach the same heights as their own fathers. Uh, But I did get a good sermon illustration out of it. My dad, he sewed into that car fund just a tiny bit at a time. Okay, even uh, just a cent or a penny at a time. Okay, one chore here, one odd job here. It was hard to see the goal. It seemed like things were accumulating so slowly. But all the while, my grandparents reminded him that if he just kept chipping away, he would finally get there. And sometimes I think we need God to remind us because parenting is hard. We can get lazy. We can get discouraged. We can get jaded. We can feel like what I'm doing doesn't really matter or affect our kids. But what God is saying here is don't give up. Keep going. And what you sow now, you will reap in the future if you don't give up. Charles Reed once said, you sow a thought and you reap a deed. You sow a deed and you reap a habit. You sow a habit and you reap a character. You sow a character and you reap a destiny. It might just start with one thought. One thought right now that, you know, I need to take parenting a little bit more seriously. Or I've been kind of dropping the ball a little bit. I took my foot off the gas. I haven't been focusing on my kids and this responsibility enough. I've been discouraged. God says, train up a child in the way he should go. And even when he is old, he will not depart from it. And this leads to the second point, the path. So the principle is right there. But what path are we talking about? What is the way, right? Train up a child in the way he should go. See, the thing is that parenting matters so much. While it is encouraging, like I said, it's also scary because it's a high responsibility. Okay, it's not an easy thing to do. And here we're going to get into the meat of what wisdom and parenting really is. There is a way 
that we should do it. Or rather, there's a way that we should encourage them to go down. Now, before we get into that, a story by way of illustration. Years ago, I read this parenting book. Uh, and I'm not even sure if it was a parenting book, but it was a Christian book. They were talking about parenting in it. I tried to find it today. I was doing that thing where I waste all this time trying to find a story. And uh, I was wasting, uh, I was being a bad steward. So I stopped looking for it. I'll just tell you from memory. Hopefully it's right. But what happened was the author, a Christian pastor and leader who's writing about parenting, he had a problem with his neighbor next door. Okay, they didn't really get along. And it came to a head when something happened where I think what happened was the neighbor's leaves from his tree just blew over onto the author's lawn. And he had just raked. Okay, so he's like, man, like if you think, if this guy thinks, like this dummy thinks that I'm going to rake up his leaves now without saying something, or he has something else coming to him. And he was going on this rant, right? He was in a rage, right? This blockhead, like what's wrong with him? Man, this guy is like the thorn in my side. He thought he was saying it in the privacy and safety of his own home, which he was, but it wasn't that private because his son was listening to every word that he said. And he didn't even realize that until he heard the door open up and he heard his son yelling like, you dummy, you think my dad is going to rake up these leaves after he raked? You got another thing coming. You're a thorn in my family's side. So he pulls him inside, right? He doesn't know what to say. Like, this, who's this random kid? I've never seen him before. Why is he in my house? Like, I didn't say that. He couldn't say it. You know, he's writing a book about parenting or whatever. He was caught. Because what his son had said was exactly what he had said, what he had really felt. He had no one to blame but himself. And the reason why I tell you this story is because if you look at the text, it says, train up a child. Now, I said earlier, the word is the same word for the word dedicate. So why do you think all the English Bibles that you have, that you've ever read, say train? It's because of the context. See, the word for child is not like a little five-year-old or like a little toddler or something like that. The word for child is like a young person or even an apprentice. See, what it's talking about here is apprenticeship. You train up, you train a child to be a certain way, to learn a certain task. See, and for most of human history, for a large majority of it at least, this is how life worked in the family. You didn't just decide, okay, this is what I want to be when I grow up. I want to be an astronaut. I'm just going to go do that. Instead, you became what your father was or your mother was, right? Jesus is a case in point. Jesus was a carpenter, right? Of course, he left that to do his ministry, but that's what people said. How can this carpenter do all of these things? Do you know why he was a carpenter? Because Joseph was also a carpenter. See, when you reached a certain age, a father would bring you right into the workshop or wherever it was and show you and teach you and help you to learn the craft, to become just like him. And Jesus, if he was a carpenter, this is how he would have learned in his humanity. He would have watched Joseph cut the wood and then he would have tried and Joseph would have helped guide his hands and he would have learned through reps how to become a carpenter. That's how apprenticeship worked. Jesus watched and then he imitated his father and then eventually Jesus became just like him in this way. Now, again, it's completely different now. Okay, we have freedom to do what we want to do. That's cool. I enjoy that. But you understand the concept. It's not a bad concept. It's not a wrong concept. You train up a child to become like you. Now, apply this not to your vocation, but to your parenting. Think about what this text is saying. 
See, if you understand this concept, when it comes to raising kids, not only does it make a lot of sense, it's also way scarier. It's not just making sure that bad influences stay away from your kids. I'm not saying that that's not a part of it, but it's not just that. It's not just teaching them the Bible with family devotions. It's not just making sure that they have a Christian worldview downloaded into their brain. It's way more than that. It's about being the kind of person that your kids can copy in a good way. Like the story, they're always listening. They're watching you when you think that they're not. They take their cues from us. They see how we live, what we prioritize, what habits we have, and they are formed accordingly. There's so much parental material out there. Like I said, we live in a time when resources are not just plentiful, but honestly, there's too much to even sort through or to discern. We also live in a time of unprecedented parenting fear. I read articles about parenting, and I read one about why you know, this parent will never let their kid ever go to a sleepover. I read another one about you know, how you need to be like the only influence in your kids' lives. I've read a lot that are like that, and there are reasons for this. Some are good. And don't get me wrong, sometimes people do hurt kids, and kids have been hurt in the past. But there's a lot of fear that's building up at the same time that there are a lot of resources that's leading to paralysis. Because you feel like, okay, there's so much danger out there. There's so many ways that this could go wrong, and I have a billion resources. How do I know what to do to make sure that my kids turn out all right? I mean, I don't know if you felt this fear. I think you have if I've talked to you about it. I know I've talked to some of you guys about it. Maybe you wouldn't call it fear, but it's like a low-level anxiety that parenting is just too hard. That things are not going to go well no matter how hard we try. And even for those of you who are beyond, you know, like the young age of parenting, I hear this a lot from the older generation. How could you even bring up a kid in this world, in this day and age? Parents are stressed out of their minds. How can I teach them everything they need to know? in a way where they will never encounter the fallenness of this world and get ruined. And when it's put that way, I think you guys know, you can't. You can't be perfect. So I'm not saying don't be discerning. Remember, your parenting matters. But what I am saying is don't get caught up in the impossible battle of trying to figure out the right way to do everything and neglect the more important thing that the Bible itself is teaching us. What kind of parent you are is directly connected to what kind of person you are. Do you see what I'm saying? The techniques, they do matter, okay? Curriculum, all of these things, family devotionals, you got to do some of these things. But those things don't matter as much if you are training them in a way that is away from God and not toward God. And how does that happen? It's when you yourself are not walking toward God. When you bring your kid into the workshop of your life, so to speak, and he sees you and he's copying you or she sees you and she's copying you and she sees that God is not that important to you at all. Look, we're always training our kids and it's not just what we officially teach them during homeschooling or family devotions, but by who we are. So the issue isn't am I parenting or not? The issue is what kind of parent am I? Am I good or am I bad? And there's more to this. Let's get into the text a little bit. It says, train up a child in the way he should go. Now, you and I might have a lot of different ideas about what way our kids should go. 
I want my kid to be rich and successful and secure. I want my kid to be kind and a nice Christian. I want my kid to be an elite athlete. I want to push them this way or that way. I want them to be healthy and strong. I want them to have manners, et cetera, et cetera. So that's why we as parents, we invest into different things to make our kids a certain way in the end. Won't be healthy and strong if we eat fast food all the time. Don't you know about the dangers of polyunsaturated fats? That's a real thing. Your kid won't be an elite athlete if you don't hold them back a year or don't put them into athletics and travel teams at a young age. They'll fall behind. Won't be a Christian if they go to the wrong school. I'm being a little facetious, but you get the point. The path that our kids need to take is obvious. The uh, excuse me, the path we want our kids to take, excuse me, is obvious if we just follow the choices that we're already making for them. See what I'm saying? You might not because I said that so poorly, but... What I said was the path that we're already on will be obvious if we look at our choices. I mean, if you look at the text, though, what does it say? The way he should go, not the way you want him to go. The way he should or she should go. Now, I'm being honest here, and this is going to make this point the longest point, but the third point is shorter. I need to spend at least three minutes talking about this. Don't tell Dr. Montoya I went over time. The Hebrew here is notoriously weird in this verse. So a lot of people, they'll take these weird translations of Hebrews 22.6 and use it to justify their own parenting methodology. And the most common is a child-driven or child-centered parenting. And the reason why this comes from this verse, actually, is because in the Hebrew, when it says the way he should go, it literally says something super strange. It says the mouth of his way. Train up a child in the mouth of his way. Now, clearly, it's supposed to mean something else. It's not literally like a mouth. So people will twist it or take it in different ways. And there is a version of uh, child-directed parenting that is extreme. And I've heard about kids who, like, never learn how to read because the parents are like, oh, he's not really into reading, right? I don't want to push him into doing that. You have people who never say no to their kids. And you might be shocked by this, maybe even thinking it's not real. But you see kind of low levels of this sprinkled in a lot of people, especially in people who take parenting seriously. In fact, even among us, I see it in friends and peers, even in myself. Like the best thing about this curriculum, right? We're talking about something. The best thing about this curriculum is that it allows my child to learn at his or her own, what, pace. That's the best thing about it. I want them to be able to, be able to get deeper into what they're interested in and good at instead of being forced into a cookie-cutter mold, now, what I just said on the surface, that's not actually wrong. Okay, every kid is unique. Every kid is fearfully and wonderfully made. But what I am saying is sometimes we lose the big picture. We get so caught up in focusing on the child, and there are people who will justify that, that we lose sight of who it is that is holding us accountable to being good parents in the first place. You see what I'm saying? What matters is perspective. Does the Bible say that the way we're supposed to raise our kids is their way? Because if you look at the rest of Proverbs, I think it's pretty clear that's not it. Proverbs 13, 24, whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Or how about Proverbs 29, 15, the rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. Now, there's a lot that we can unpack in there. That's for another time. But there is a sense in which kids need to be directed away from themselves. Like, there's a logic to child-directed parenting, right? They'll say that, you know, God created them to be a certain way. Your job as a parent is to help them 
unleash that, you know, to unlock it, to come to full fruition. But the Bible says that there is actually a way that is outside of kids that they will never get to without some kind of outside intervention. See, Proverbs talks about the way or the path over five dozen times, almost 70 times. And when you read the context, you realize that it's painfully clear how wisdom works. It's not that there's a child's path that they need to get on that's unique to them. It's that there are only two paths. There's the wise path and the foolish path. There's the righteous path and the unrighteous path. There's the path that leads to God and the path that leads away from him. So put it together. If the calling is to train up a child, not just teach them, and the call is to train them up in the way he should go, that is God's way, what does this mean? It means we need to ask ourselves the, uh, the question, parents, what path am I walking on right now? Do you see where this is going? Yes, all the details do matter. What you say to them, you know, when you do teach them, that does matter. Don't get me wrong. But the most important thing is what path are you walking because they're following you? Are you walking toward God or are you walking away? Think about our wisdom series so far. What is your speech like? Right? You might tell them gossiping is bad, but if they hear you talking about other people all the time, what do you think that that's, what do you think that's, that that's going to do to them? Or where is that going to lead them? You might say friendship is important, but if you're always having conflict with people and not resolving it, that is going to go into their hearts and into their lives. They're following you. So ask the question, am I walking the right path? Do they see what they need to see in my life? And this leads to the third and final point quickly now. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. That is a proverb. And the third point is the proverb. I think it's a good way to end this series and end the sermon. But what this proverb means in particular is that your actions have consequences. And not just consequences, but predictable consequences. And uh, you will see yourself in your kids. We talked about that. However... This is all a proverb, and it is not a promise. And this must be said when it comes to parenting, because a lot of people in church have trouble with this proverb. For good reason. Not because of the Hebrew, even though the Hebrew is difficult here, but because of what it seems to clearly say. When he is old, he will not depart from it. But you go interview Christian parents. You know, their kids are growing up now. They're 18. And it's hit and miss. Some parents are like, yeah, we really tried to raise them as Christians. We taught them the Bible. We brought them to church. We homeschooled them. And some will say, and it worked out great. They're walking with the Lord. We're so close. It worked. Proverbs 22, 6. But then you'll see some other parents who did the same thing. And they'll be like, you know, I have one kid that's not walking with God. I don't get it. Because nine out of my ten kids or whatever are walking with God and one isn't. And it's that one that is painful. This verse wrecks people. It keeps them up late at night, racked with stress or worse, with regret. People turn from God over what they think about this verse. I gave everything to my kids. God promised that he would make my kid a certain way if I did this for him and it didn't work. I don't know if I can trust God anymore. And that is really hard. So first of all, I just want to say that God 
doesn't actually promise that your kid will turn out a certain way. This is a proverb. And what proverbs are is they teach you how things usually go. They give you guidance for how to navigate life well. But there are exceptions. So as we close this series, I encourage you to read the rest of Proverbs and to read Job and to read Ecclesiastes, the Old Testament wisdom books, because Ecclesiastes and Job are about the exceptions. Do you remember Job? We talked about him a lot. But Job was... uh, In the situation he was in, he suffered so much. He lost all of his kids. He lost all of his stuff. Why? Because he was foolish? No, because he was wise. He was the wisest and most righteous man. That's why Satan targeted him. See, what you do matters. But it's not just what you do that affects things in this world. There are other people who are sinful and fallen. Your kids ultimately are responsible for their own lives before God. Satan is real and he is affecting things. And above it all, God is sovereign and in control. See, the Bible never says that parenting kids saves kids eternally. Even at a more general level, the Bible never says that you yourself as a human being have the power to produce fruit in someone else's life. You can plant, you can water, and God uses that. But at the end of the day, who gives the growth? God and God alone. Think, you know, what do we read when we read the Bible? Now, I don't understand some of these parenting gurus. And some of them are good too. But I don't understand how sometimes they veer so close to this promise that, okay, if you just follow what I'm saying, I'm going to teach you the Bible. And when you listen to these biblical principles, then your kid will turn out like mine or turn out even better. I don't get why or how they can promise this. I mean, I hear shades of this even from the best teachers and preachers. I've heard people say stuff like, we just have to have more kids. And because we're Christian, we will have Christian kids. And in a few generations, everyone will be Christian because we'll have like 50 kids and they'll have two kids. Uh, Okay, I see the logic and the math, I guess. It could be the case. It's an advantage to be Christian parents. But the truth is salvation belongs to God alone. We can't presume upon that. Do you see what I'm saying? Am I off here? Right? You guys see what I'm saying? And this is why parents, I think, get so devastated because they hear these people sell this thing, this dream. And when you think that all the responsibility rests on you, it's too much to bear when things kind of go off. And for those to whom God is gracious, where their kids do walk with the Lord, when you think it all depends on you, this is where people get self-righteous sometimes. I'm not saying you are. Oh, just do what I did, and if you don't, must be your problem. It's not me. But we get messed up when we think that everything is in our control. Look at the scriptures. We're back in 1 Samuel next week. Remember 1 Samuel? Think about the kids and the parents. Okay, we haven't talked about this a lot, but think about Samuel himself. Were his parents righteous? At least Hannah was, right? We see that in the very beginning. His mother was righteous. But does she parent him? No. She drops him off with Worst Parent of the Year Award, Eli, whose sons are terrible, at a young age. Okay, some people don't want anyone to raise their kids. Eli was raising Samuel. Now, Eli was too weak to even call out his kids when God rebuked him. Even for his own kids' sake, he couldn't correct them. Eli raises Samuel. So is Samuel ruined? No, Samuel actually turns out to be one of the godliest men in all of Scripture. He never turns away from God by God's grace. But then are Samuel's kids good? 
No. Okay, Samuel's kids also take bribes, and they're kind of like Eli. So you're like, okay, it must be Samuel's fault, right? Samuel must be an Eli-like parent. But the Bible doesn't even say that. And then on top of that, Samuel's grandkids are good. Bad parents lead to a good grandson, He-Man, or Haman, actually, but it says He-Man. He's the worship leader of Israel under David. And I think about Saul. Was Saul a good guy? Not really. I'll say that. Who was his son? Jonathan. Jonathan, the courageous, virtuous guy who should have been king by qualification. He just wasn't chosen. That came from Saul. You look at all of these people. The thing is, we want to believe it's more in our control than it really is. What you do matters, but ultimately God is the one who is over this. And we can't forget that. Because what does wisdom say? I want you to hear this because we've already heard it, but how quickly we forget. Hear it again. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. What does it say? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Trust in the Lord. Too often our eyes are focused on the example that we have in people. Oh, I want my kids to just be just like that person's kids. Too often our eyes are focused on our own kids. What's going on with them? How are they doing? Too often our eyes are focused on ourselves. Am I being the best possible parent? Have I exhausted all avenues? Is what I'm doing working? Too too often our eyes are focused on the world. How can anyone raise up godly kids with all these temptations and sins around us? And wherever you're looking out of those four, Ultimately, you're looking in the wrong place. Don't look around you or within you. Look up. Not up at me, but look up. The key to parenting wisely is to stop focusing so much on parenting itself and to make sure that you yourself are right with God. Again, don't get me wrong. Other things are important, but those things fall apart. If you are not chasing hard after God, you know, my parents, I don't want to put them on the spot, but there's something I need to share. Um, my parents held me back uh, from being good at basketball. <laughs> okay. This is, this is going somewhere, uh, but they held me back from being good at basketball. And I shared this before. Every time we play basketball, I'm remembered. I'm reminded of this, um, but my parents, they didn't push me to be good at basketball at all. They didn't sign me up for any training camps or clinics. They didn't even really uh, put me onto a team to play organized basketball until I was like eight or nine years old. By then, it was way too late to get good. And the reason why, the reason why is because the leagues I grew up around all played on Sunday, okay? Now, I'm not saying you can't do sports on a Sunday. It's not legalism, okay? This is just an example But for my parents, they were really involved in church, okay? Church was a priority for them. And I can count, okay, I can count on one hand the number of times I remember my parents telling me that we got to go to church or you better go to church or church is important. I don't remember them even saying that that much, but it was demonstrated in their lives. And it was painful for me for a long time. It still is when I play. Uh, I'm reminded Now, again, it wasn't legalistic. If I was sick, they didn't mind keeping me home. Eventually, I did play basketball for a while, and that was a humbling experience. But I did miss Sunday uh, church a few times. Not saying everything was like 
perfection. But the thing is, and this is why I bring it up. Okay, the thing is, it wasn't that they just told me church was important, but then whenever they didn't feel like it, they didn't show up. For my parents, it was more just about what they did, regardless if I was there or not. If they never had kids, they were still going to go to church. If they had three kids, they're still going to go to church. And we're going because we live with them. They trained me just by virtue of the fact that church was important to them. And it wasn't just they were doing that thing where, okay, we got to go to church because it's good for morals for our kids. It wasn't child-centered at all, I don't think. We didn't go to church for us. We went to church for them. They would be like, okay, we're going to church, and uh, we're going to go talk to some people, and we're serving, so you got to go like talk to your friends or something. And it's not like they didn't care. Don't get me wrong. But for them, church wasn't about children. Church was about Christ and living for him. And I got the message. They never even told me that. I don't think. I just saw it in their lives. And now look, right? I'm a pastor. So that's how it works. No, that's not how it works. You know, I figured, right, like, if I'm going to be at church every Sunday, my parents are going to bring me, might as well get paid for it, right? Make it my job. No, I'm just playing. But I share this because of their example, but I share this also because the truth is I didn't always walk with God. There were times in high school where the last thing I wanted to do was go to church. I fought my parents on it. I wasn't even a Christian for a long time. But through it all, they sowed and they sowed just through their own lives. It wasn't because of a technique or some class, but they focused on what was important to them, which was God. And now it's paying off finally, 30 years later. Look, some of you guys, right? All you want to do is go back and change it. You know, you want to do parenting over again, but it's too late. I think that, that that's why parenting messages are so painful, but it's not too late for God to work. That's where we get messed up. Parenting sermons are not about parenting at the end of the day. They're about God. Maybe your time with them is done directly, but God can still work in their lives. So look to him. Maybe some of you, you guys are so stressed out about parenting. You're not sure what the right curriculum is or right children's Bible. Okay, be discerning, but at the end of the day, just rest because your kids are in God's hands. Trust him and pray about it. And things will work out in the way he wants them to, and we have to look to him. And some of you guys, you're obsessed with parenting. It's all you think about. How can I do it the best way? My encouragement is to change that obsession away from parenting and put it onto Christ. I guarantee you, I don't know exactly how it's going to work, but I guarantee you, if you focus on parenting more than your kids, it'll be better in the end. I don't know how, but it'll be better. And some of us, we're not thinking about parenting at all. We're like, man, I sat through this whole thing. We're single. Make your life all about God. You don't know who you're going to influence. And besides, what is life about as a Christian if not for that? So isn't it funny how the application is the same for all of us? Parenting, it's not about parenting. It's about God. We'll close here. Turn with me to Genesis 22, and we'll land this plane, as it were. Genesis 22. <clears throat> we'll end here with a good passage, as Dr. Montoya would say. Even if he doesn't like the sermon, at least I went here. Genesis 22, verse 1. You might know this story. It's very famous. Genesis 22. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, 
and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. So to catch you up, Abraham had been promised a son by God decades earlier. Okay, way earlier. He had waited so long to finally have Isaac. For those of you who have waited a long time for kids, you know how special this is. And yet God calls Abraham one day to sacrifice this kid. His only son, it says. He has Ishmael, but we'll get into that later or never. God doesn't require human sacrifice. So this is shocking. That's what pagan gods require. Plus, to sacrifice the promised child, right? There's a covenant going on here, even more shocking. And yet what's most shocking is that Abraham obeys without a word. How could he do this? How could he take this son of promise to sacrifice him to God in this pagan way? Well, because, and maybe this rings a bell for you, it wasn't about what Abraham knew. It was about what God said. Trust and obey. Verse 4, on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and he saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they both, or they went both of them together. And Isaac is like, okay, what's going on here? Verse seven said to his father, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. So he's really going to do it. Okay, could you have done it? That's what the text is kind of portraying for us. We just see this guy doing it. We got to ask, could we have done it? Would you have done it if God told you this morning, you got to get up and sacrifice your kid. Strap on Abraham's dusty sandals for a second and think, would I have walked that same path? There might be no better litmus test for your parenting than your answer to this question. Could you have sacrificed your children to God if he commanded? Abraham raises his hand, I'm sure with tears in his eyes, but he does it. Verse 11, but the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Okay, it's not a spoiler for a lot of you guys. You know this story. It was a test. It always was. A test to see whether Abraham feared the Lord or not. Now, remind me, what is the beginning of wisdom? The fear of the Lord. And now do we see, or at least begin to see why we turned here. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of everything wise. Think about everything we talked about. Friendship, speech, conflict, trust, money, parenting. If you don't fear God, none of it is going to work. And I say this especially with parenting today. If you don't fear God first, if he is a number one, then everything else is going to fall apart. Verse 13, Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. 
And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. God asked Abraham to give his only son. Why? Not because God required or needed Isaac or needed a human sacrifice. It's because God wanted Abraham's trust. Abraham looked to a nearby thicket and sees a ram, and that ram becomes an offering, but he doesn't miss the point. Verse 14, so Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. God provided the sacrifice in the end. And look, Christian, if there's one thing that I impart to you today as we close this series and end this sermon, God asked for you to give up, not just your kids, but everything. To give up your entire life. To take up your cross, to deny yourself. Why? So that you can follow Jesus on the right path. Your kids don't belong to you. They never did. But what we see here is that God is not the kind of God that just takes everything and gives nothing. No, it's actually the opposite. Because when Jesus, when God calls you to give up everything, what is he offering? Lose your life and then you will what? You will truly find it. And we know that God himself is the one who doesn't take but provides. He doesn't take your only son. He gave his only son. God wasn't the one who stayed his hand, but he sent his son to the cross. He poured out his wrath upon his own son who didn't deserve it. And then he offers us eternal life and joy and peace. So put it together. Love your kids. Your parenting matters. But you can love them better by loving Jesus more. By giving them up to him. Run hard after Christ yourself, and as they follow you, they will at the very least see who Jesus truly is. And when you're discouraged or downtrodden in the nights of your regret, it's the same thing. Look to him. He's still in control. He has forgiveness for your failings, and he is more important than anything else. That's the truth, even our kids. He is why life is worth living. So let's go to him in prayer. Let's pray. Lord, it's a lot to take in. We ask for your help to raise our children. God, we know that you you love children and you've said, let the children come to me. And I pray that that won't be lost on us. It's not about forming kids in our own image or into our dream image. It's about pointing them to you. And God, I pray for every single person in this room that we would look to you. That we would reset our lives if our lives need a reset. That we would repent if we need to repent. God, I pray that we would just see, God, your worth and your importance. And may everything else pale in comparison. God, we're thankful for this proverb that teaches us wisdom. We're thankful for your promise, God, which is greater, which tells us, God, that if we lose our lives, then we will truly find it. And that's what we rest in. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.